Well, let me just begin by saying good morning again to all of you who are here, and good morning to those of you who are joining us by video right now. I'm glad that you're there. We have the opportunity this morning to learn about something that's really important, I think, to the experience of life that all of us share. We are continuing in a series that's called Ancient Roots, and we've been learning for the past eight weeks. We've got one week left. Last, next week is the ninth and final week in the series. where We've been learning from the ancient summary of the Christian faith that's called the Apostles' Creed. And today we are learning from a line in the creed that says that we believe that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. We believe in and we follow a Lord who died on a Friday afternoon and who spent Saturday lying in a tomb before he ever got to Sunday. And we're going to learn today about what that experience means for our experience, for the seasons of Saturday in our lives. And I want to start today by observing something about kind of the world that we live in, the culture that we live in. It seems to me that we are developing the ability to solve more and more problems faster and faster in our world, right? The speed is increasing. And a long time ago, longer ago than I'd like to admit, when I was a kid, uh, I saw an insight into this already. I remember when I used to go visit my grandparents in East Tennessee, it's my dad's parents, they had a fast food restaurant down there that I really loved, and it was called Pal's. Here is a picture of Pal's restaurant, just as I remember it. This is, you can tell, you'll be able to tell in a moment when you see that picture. <laughs> Pal's is a building that is, uh, nope, we're not going to get that. All right, so, uh, <laughs> boom, there it is. Look at that. An answer to prayer is Pal's fast food service. <laughs> Man, I should get paid for that. Up there, okay, you see, look at that. Can you tell that building was designed by a fine art major in college? Is that a beautiful thing, right? And I, that hot dog, my mouth is watering. I could eat a Pals chili dog every day, right? Now, what, what Pals figure out, are back in the 80s when this was, is that fast food was not good enough. Pals had to have sudden service. Look at that next picture right there. Pals, their little logo, that yellow logo says sudden service on it. Pals wanted to make things faster and faster. There they are. Here's what I've experienced in my life, is that that just keeps getting better, right? So it used to be that if I wanted to get a cup of coffee from Starbucks, way back in the dark ages when I would want to do that, right? I would go to Starbucks, and I'd have, to, I'd have to pull up, park my car in the parking lot like some kind of Neanderthal, get out of the car, <laughs> go into the restaurant. I would have to place my order with some slow, inefficient human being behind the cashier. That person would parrot my order down the line to somebody else who would make my coffee, and I kid you not, like sometimes I had to wait like five minutes to get a cup of coffee, right? And then I walked back out to the car. Major inconvenience in human life, bearing the cross of Jesus. I had to do this, right? It's so slow. Things are getting better though, right? First, they figured out drive-throughs. They figured out, you don't have to get out of your car. We can take advantage of the greatest American contribution to culinary arts in the world, the drive-through, right? Okay? But still, other people want to use the drive-thru too, right? And you got to talk to somebody through that awkward microphone and you order one thing and they make something else for you. Now Starbucks has a video phone in the drive-thru. That's freaky, right? Okay, does that make anyone else feel uncomfortable? All right, but now you can do it faster. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I have an app on my smartphone designed by Starbucks in order to extract as much money from my pocket as possible. That's the purpose <laughs> of this thing. I can go into this app and I can tap my customized order, the last order that I had last time, and then it will automatically deduct funds from my account, of course, and they'll start making my coffee so that it's ready for me when I get there. But sometimes I have to be careful. They're so fast that I can't order it before I leave the house, or it'll be cold by the time I get there. So 
I got to get it ready. And then when I'm on southbound on White Bear Avenue, I got to get my phone out and place my Starbucks order, right? I'm just kidding. I don't do that. Yeah, or I wouldn't admit it if I did. I'm j- I have never done that. I've never done that. But one, one more, and very short. This is my favorite, actually, symbol of this sort of thing. Do you guys remember the Staples Easy Button? Remember the, the Easy Button, right? You got a problem at work. You got an office problem. You got a mess. You got people who aren't getting along. Boom, hit the Easy Button, and like the angels sing, and heaven arrives in your workplace, all organized and beautiful with color-coded paper clips and the whole works, right? The Staples Easy Button. And man, wouldn't it be nice if life had an Easy Button, if that was real, right? That's why that commercial works, because we all want an Easy Button. Now, I'm making fun of this, we're laughing about this, but the truth is, I'm not against this, right? I mean, if we can solve minor problems more simply or faster, that's most of the time a good thing. But, but there is a sort of a backside to this. There is sort of a problem side to this. And that is, it's making us more impatient than we already were, right? It, it's making it, we're, it's getting harder and harder for us, I think, to deal with those situations in life where there is not an easy button, and we think there should be, and we would love it if there were, It's making it harder and harder for us to live in those situations that are not resolved, where the loose ends are not tied up, where everything doesn't come out easily, those situations in life where you are walking through a hard season of life, where you are walking on a road that is uphill into the wind and you're turning your ankle and you would love for there to be an exit ramp, but there is not, and the only way forward is through. We've all got those roads, and it's just getting harder for us to walk them. I'm talking about those situations that cause us significant pain. I have a, a friend, his name is John. He's a Lutheran pastor here in this region. And around a year ago, he had a sore throat. And he went for a diagnosis, and it turns out there was a, a massive and dangerous tumor at the base of his skull pushing on his throat. And for the last year, his life has not been the same. He's a, a shell of his former self in many ways. And he and his family have been living through the season of Saturday the season of waiting, of wondering, whatever comes next. And then a few weeks ago, there was kind of a return of some symptoms that hadn't been there for a while, and he got a new diagnosis. And that tumor is not gone. It's bigger than it was before, and it's spread farther. And they're not seeing a way that that turns out the way that they're hoping that it turns out on this side of eternity. And so they're just kind of in the waiting. They're just on the road, and if there were an easy button, I'm telling you, they would push it. If there were an app to download, they would download it. But, but there's not. And you've been there. A lot of you have been there. Or you may be there in some way right now. If there were a button to push, you'd push it. You'd like, if there were an off-ramp, man, we're looking for it. And it could happen in our physical health. It can happen in our relationships. It can happen in our marriages. Betrayal, friendships, loneliness, social stuff, issues in our society. We're looking around going, I... I don't know where the answer comes from, but I cannot believe that we're still here. Why is it still like this? And we're looking for the way out of there. How do we live in these situations where life is not resolved, where we would love to have an easy button, but there is not? That's what we're talking about today. And I want to tell you that I believe that there is help for us for living in these times of life in our ancient roots. Because this creed that we learn to confess, this Apostles' Creed, these ancient roots of ours, they're not, it's not like it's this laundry list of 9, 10, 12 things that you're supposed to believe. And once you check all those boxes, then your Christian resume is complete or something. The, our, the Apostles' Creed is most centrally a confession and a teaching about the character of God. 
It's about the kind of God that we worship. And, and we believe in a God who has been there. Let, let's put, do we have the Apostles' Creed slide or do we not have that? There we go. Look at that. All right. So this is where we started last week. And I'd like to invite you, if, if you are a Christian, if this is your faith, would you say this out loud with me right now? I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Stop for a second. All right. That's the part that we learned about last week. God loved us in so powerfully that he took the risk of becoming one of us, entering into all the danger and risk and vulnerability of what it means to be human. And then in our, in our creed, in our confession, we actually skip over all the teaching and events of Jesus' life, critically important as they are, to get to one centrally important moment, and that's this. If we could have the next slide. We say this ridiculous confession about Jesus. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day, he rose again. Now, we're talking about Saturday. We're talking about the cross and the death of Jesus. In our confession here, we know that our faith does not end there. That's not where the story ends. If that's where the story ended, we wouldn't even know the first part of the story. Nobody would have wrote it down. Nobody remembered. You would never have heard the name Jesus if that's where it ended. Our faith does not end there, but it does go there, and it spends some time there. And the stories of the Bible are full of stories of people who lived in seasons of waiting, who lived in seasons that we now call Saturday. And of course, we wouldn't even know, we wouldn't even have the faith to call it Saturday if we didn't believe in Sunday. But Saturday does come first. Let me tell you a couple of these examples. The first one actually comes from the story of Jesus' burial, from these events in his life. Let me remind you of a few verses from that story. Matthew chapter 27, verse 59 through 61 says this. Joseph, who was a guy from a town called Arimathea, he took the body of Jesus, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. And then he rolled a big stone. Can you imagine the finality of that feeling? He rolled a big stone in front of the, in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, this is probably Mary of Bethany. She was a sister to Martha and Lazarus. These two were two of Jesus' closest friends and followers. They were sitting there opposite the tomb. That's the verse that really got me. I never really noticed that before. They're just sitting there opposite the tomb. And they don't know what comes next. When Jesus was buried, nobody knew Sunday was coming, right? You think of a more hopeless, helpless place than just sitting there on the ground or on some other rock looking at the big rock in front of the tomb and going, Phew, the worst that could happen happened. They were waiting. They were waiting and praying. This guy, Joseph, whose tomb Jesus was buried in, Joseph of Arimathea, he's also elsewhere characterized for his waiting. This is what it says in Mark 15, 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. He was waiting for the thing that Jesus said God was doing. Bring that. God, finish that work. I'm waiting to see that realized and brought to fullness in this world. And so I'm praying like Jesus taught me to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done right here on earth, please, as I know that it is in heaven. This is the season of Advent right now in the Christian year. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. We remember how Jesus came and we're looking forward to him coming again. When Jesus was born, 
he was brought to the temple in Jerusalem by his parents. And there was an old man there, and his name was Simeon. And Simeon is described for his waiting. He was waiting for God to bring Jesus into the world. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the comfort of God's people, waiting for God to do what God was supposed to do. And they were waiting, and they were waiting, and they were praying. And we can learn from how they waited and how they prayed, because I know what they were praying. And, and so do you, actually. We have their prayer book. It's right here in the middle of the Bible. It's called the Psalms. And there are some classic prayers of waiting. One of the most famous, one of the most central is Psalm number 13. And I want to reflect on Psalm 13 with you for a few minutes this morning to help us in our waiting. If you have a worship bulletin with you this morning, there's a study guide in the middle there, and on the front of that study guide is an outline and also the words of this psalm. And I, I, there's three things I want to observe for you here that I hope will be helpful to you on Saturday, on all the Saturdays of our lives. The first one, the first thing that this prayer models for us is honesty in our waiting. Let me read to you the first four verses of this prayer. Just imagine. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my own thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I think sometimes when we pray, we think we're supposed to put on a happy face before God or have some pious, faithful, confident-sounding phrases that we're supposed to use because that's what prayers are supposed to sound like. But this prayer, this biblical prayer, the Bible teaches us honesty before God in prayer, to bring our real selves to God, to admit, and maybe it's even admitting to ourselves, that the tension is unresolved, that the loose ends are not tied up. This is where I am. And we can bring that to God in prayer. And I think by extension, we bring that to one another in Christian community. Saturdays, I think, are meant for sharing. We're supposed to open them up to one another and allow others to do their Christian duty and bear them with us. Right there in that study guide that you're holding in your hand, on the inside is the discussion guide for our growth groups. And in there are a couple of questions that invite you, that ask you to share your Saturday with your community, with your growth group, maybe with other friends in your life also. And you know what? If you're in a growth group and I told you that that's in the discussion guide, you might have just got scared like, ooh, I don't think I want to do that. That's a little scary. I'll tell you the truth. You don't have to. You could hide it if you've been doing it already. You could just pretend that everything is fine. Or you could take a step of honesty. You could be honest with your Christian community, with your brothers and sisters, with your Christian family, so that they can not only rejoice with you when you rejoice, but also mourn with you when, you're, when you mourn. It's been taught to me, and I've repeated this over and over again, that in Christian community, when we share them, joys are multiplied and sorrows are divided. And go ahead and divide your sorrows among your group. Your Christian brothers and sisters want to support you there. Saturdays are for sharing. Honesty is the first thing. The second thing in the next couple of verses of this psalm is right in the midst of honesty is hope. And I don't mean, you'll see in a moment, I don't mean the hope that says, oh, it wasn't that bad actually after all. Or, hey, you're fine. It's not that big of a deal. Can you imagine when you're in pain and someone says, actually, it's not that big of a deal. It just makes it worse, right? Here, right in the middle of this psalm, right in the middle of the pain, 
In the middle of the honesty is hope. Here's the last few lines of the prayer. But, right? I'm praying how long? I'm praying give light to my eyes. Yet, but I trust in your unfailing love and my heart rejoices in your salvation. Right in the midst of these circumstances, I trust you. And I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I'm not saying that everything around me is fine, but I know the character of God. Another way, another way I've heard this said is, I may not know what tomorrow brings, but I know who brings tomorrow, and I know the character of the God who brings tomorrow. I trust in your unfailing love. And, and I wonder about this last verse. I've been trying to decide which way to read this. On the one hand, it might be future-oriented. It might be a statement of faith that says, I will sing the Lord's praise someday. I will sing the Lord's praise. I will rejoice in the salvation and the rescue. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Once he has done that, I will sing the Lord's praise. Or I kind of wonder, and I think maybe more likely at another level, it's saying, I will sing the Lord's praise and you can't stop me. I will right here in the midst of these circumstances for he has been good to me and I will not forget that even though everything around me is unresolved, even though there's not a way off this road, yet I know the Lord's, I know the Lord's character. It's hope in the midst of Saturday. And still, above and beyond the hope that the psalmist gives us, we have something that the prayer of that prayer didn't have. We have the person of Jesus himself. The, 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 we have the person of Jesus himself. The central confession of the Christian faith connects Jesus himself to exactly this kind of experience. That God took the risk of incarnation and entered into our lives. Jesus became flesh and dwelled among us and died. We know that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and lied there on Saturday so that we could know that we worship a God who has been there. There's not a place that you go that he has not been ahead of you. And you don't ever have to think, I'm here alone, this is worse, God doesn't know. We worship a God who has been there and back again, right? This is how God chose to defeat evil. This and not some other way. This and not the way that I would have dreamed it up. This and not the way that you probably would have dreamed, us up, dreamed it up. Rather this. Jesus said, let evil take its best shot. Bring it on. I'll take it. All of it. And he did. Rejection by his own people. Betrayal by his closest friends. Suffering. Arrest. Conviction execution, death. Jesus suffered the state-sponsored execution of the Son of God. Wrap your head around that for a second. So that there would never be a place that we would go that we could say, well, God didn't go there. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And then he died. And then Saturday. And then Sunday. And then resurrection. And then new life from the grave. And then the victory of God over the worst and the best that evil could possibly offer, right? Jesus let evil exhaust itself upon him. The biggest haymaker punch you could swing, and then that's all there is. And then he's vulnerable. And then Jesus is raised from the dead and brings life from the dead. Now, you can't schedule that, right? <laughs> we can't force that to happen in our lives. We can't manufacture that when we want it to happen. We can't say now would be a great time. It's not up to us. You can't force it, but you sure can trust it. You can't force it, but you sure can trust it. Because of Jesus, because we share in the death of Jesus, we look forward to sharing in the life of Jesus, because Jesus has been with us on our Saturdays, we have the faith to call it Saturday, and then also to say it may be Saturday, but Sunday's coming.
Sunday is coming, right? So we learn honesty in our prayers, and we learn hope in our prayers. And then one more thing. Just because we can't make it happen doesn't mean there's nothing that we can do. In fact, actually, there's a lot that we can do. What we can do is we may not be able to solve all our own situations. We may not be able to resolve all our unresolved tensions. We may not be able to make it all work out. But what we can do is move toward other people on their Saturdays, right? We can get up outside of our own circumstances and look into the lives of others and do what God has done for us. Love our neighbors as God has first loved us and see their Saturdays and move toward their mess in love. Let me tell you a story about this that really got my heart this last week. This is a story about an old high school friend. Her name is Stacy. And Stacy and I uh, lost touch over the years like many high school people do. And then we've kind of gotten reconnected over the course of the last year or so in the way that many old high school friends get reconnected by that wonder of the social world called Facebook, right? So we've kind of gotten reacquainted with one another. And in the last week, something happened in her life that really inspired me. Stacy, way back before I even knew her in middle school, uh, maybe even a little bit younger than that, was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis and painful and debilitating symptoms in her life. And in her early life, her life expectancy was 12. It was 12 years old. Now, she was a high school friend of mine, so you might know that she beat that expectation. And then her life expectancy was adjusted to 21 years old. And then when time came, it was adjusted to 32 years old. And then it was adjusted to 38. And now, like me, Stacy is 41 three years overdue, right? And so as she said to me, so I like to live, I try to live hopefully, but I'm also living realistically, and I recognize that I'm living with an expiration date, which frankly is true for all of us. We're all living with an expiration date, but some of us are farther up the line than others of us, and that's a part of our reality. This is part of Stacy's season of Saturday, and so there are the physical symptoms and the pain. There's the disability. She's a social worker and had to stop working a couple years ago. She wasn't able to do that anymore. Right now, she's at a place in life where she's not sure that she is going to have ongoing access to the health care that she's had up to this point. She's worried about losing the coverage that she had up to this point. There's a lot of Saturday anxiety going on in Stacy's life. And she thinks thoughts that I've never had to think. She's had to think thoughts about whether her family is better off with her here or whether they'd be better off spared the expense and the suffering and the trial that's part of her life. This is part of what she goes through that I don't, that I don't go through. And then, just within the last few weeks, she was thinking about this and wondering what she could do. And Stacy's a Christian, and she decided to start volunteering with a, a program back in Cleveland, Ohio, where both of us are from, a program that helps resettle and mentor refugees from all over the world, refugee Families, individuals, populations that come, and they're fleeing from horrible situations, from violence and fear and death and persecution and all kinds of terrible things. And they come to America, and they come to a place where they hope to be safe, but they don't know how to shop for groceries or open a bank account or cross the street without getting hit by a car or pay their bills or whatever. And so Stacy has joined this program that says, we're going to help you. We'll try to move into your Saturday and, and make a difference there. And I just, as I've been learning about Stacy's story for a little while now, and then I found that out this last week, that, as I told her, my heart is both broken for and inspired by you right now. Because you're living out this Saturday business, and right in the middle of it, you're trying to figure out, how do I live as a part of, how do I participate in, how, how do I live out the love and compassion of the way of Jesus in my circumstances? And I'm inspired by that. I'd like to figure out how that takes shape 
in my life. I mean, it sure beats sitting around feeling sorry for myself on a Saturday, right? This is what God has done for us. God moved toward us. He took the risk of incarnation, of becoming one of us, and so much one of us that he died with and for us. This is what the cross is all about. This is also what that mysterious line in the Creed is about, by the way. He descended into hell. That's based on this obscure verse in 1 Peter that says that Jesus went and preached to the spirits who were in prison. I think the point there is meant to say to us, there is no place you can go. There is no place in the cosmos where God is not coming for you to try to offer you the hope and the redemption of life in Christ. This is what the cross is about, that God moved into our neighborhood, moved into our mess to love us, to be with us in it, and eventually to rescue us. And it turns out that the cross is not only the place where God's love is poured out for us in infinite measure, right? Where God's love and grace and power is poured out to us until our cup overflows and we pour out love for others. It's where God poured out love for us. And it turns out the cross is also the shape of the Christian life. It's exactly what Jesus called us to do following him. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Greater love has no one than this than that they would lay down their life for a friend. That's the life that Jesus offers us, full of joy, full of purpose, full of his power, laying it down to love others. So here's what I want you to know today. On the one hand, I don't know what your particular Saturday is. There might be a thousand people who hear this message at some point. That probably means there's at least a thousand different Saturdays. But on every one of them, I want you to know that you are not alone, that we worship a God who has been there. I want you to know that we confess and worship and follow Jesus who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And so we know a God who has been there and back again. I want you to know that God is with you, and then I also want you to know that Saturdays are meant for sharing. Right? So the Saturday you've got, be honest about it. Let your Christian community into it. Stop hogging it all for yourself. All right? Your friends want to love you. They want to care for you. They want to pray for you. Be honest and let them in. And Saturdays are for sharing, which means also other people's Saturdays. The, the way of Jesus is that we get to share his love for other people. We're not stuck moping around in our own Saturdays, but we get to be on the road with him, participating in the power of his sacrificial love for others. I think when we know that, when we know that God is like that, and we get to share life together like that, there is not a Saturday on this earth that cannot be survived. And not only survived, but thrived. I think there's not a Saturday on this earth that we can't live with the love, the honesty, the hope, the power, and the love of Jesus. Because we will know that Saturday is just that. It's Saturday. We will know that it's Saturday, and we will know that Sunday's coming. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your incredible love. You could have stayed way over there and left us way over here, but you came to us. And we give you today our Saturdays. We're honest with ourselves about that pain, honest with you in prayer that we would admit it. And we pray that you would heal our hearts, God. I pray that you would give a, a supernatural work of your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts the peace that passes all human understanding, which is honestly the only peace that will actually do for us in situations like this. I pray that you would do that. Heal our hearts, give us your strength, your endurance. And I pray that we can't do this ourselves, God, but you can. Would you turn us outward? Would you open us up on whatever road that we're on toward one another, toward love, toward grace, toward compassion to one another? Work by us, work in us by your Holy Spirit. 
and lead us in the way of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.